0: crossroads and what is my one of my favorite sundays of the year as it is the last sunday of fall break and finally we will kind of get back to normal and people will be back to church again let me welcome you we're excited that you're here today is week three of our series against the wind and let me also say this Have you ever heard that phrase that said, uh, that's going to make the preacher cuss? Well, the preacher is just about to cuss because I've been out there messing with this Facebook Live. Ever since Facebook has been hacked a couple of weeks ago and they went down for a couple of days, we've had problems. So we didn't have a Facebook Live last week. And I worked on it Monday of this week, and it was supposed to work today, and it didn't work again. So it's so frustrating. And I'm like, okay, God, what's going on? Maybe it's just kind of an indication that people need to come to church, right? I mean, so again, we love doing it, and we're going to continue to do it. But I'm just like so frustrated as to the very reason why it would not work. So I was out in the lobby until just a moment ago, and... Hopefully it doesn't affect me too much today, but I am so ticked at technology. It is just like, I'm like, dude, it, it, because see, it, it's, it's all automated. It just does it itself, and we don't have to worry about it. You know, Tim manages the cameras back in the back, and we, do, we, do, we don't have to do anything. So, again, uh, we're Facebook liveless today, to some extent. So I'm glad you're here. The only portion of this service that will be available will be the audio, and it will be available at CrossroadsLebanon.com uh, forward slash media. Let me ask you a question. Uh, I think or let me just make a statement first and then ask you a question. I think all of us would agree that the last 18 months since March 2020 have been honestly like no time in the history of our lives. I mean none of us have experienced anything like we've experienced the last 20 or the last 18 months since March of 2020. So this morning if 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 I were to ask you How would you describe the last 18 months, not out loud, but to yourself? If I were to ask you how you would describe the last 18 months, what would you say? I mean, what would you say? What's the the wordage, that you the verbiage that you would use to describe the last 18 months? I guess it's about 17, 18 months since March 2020. Let's take it one step further. Let's let's don't use a bunch of words to describe uh, the last 17 or 18 months. Let's use one word. Because if I were to ask you, give me one word that describes the last 18 months, some of you would say pandemic. Some of you would say uh, inconvenient. Some of you would probably say uh, COVID, COVID 19. And and again, while those words may apply to the last 18 months and the the life that you've had to live and the life that I've had to live, I don't think those are the words that describe where we've been the last 18 months. Because I'm going to tell you this morning, I have a word that I think describes the last 18 months better than any other word that you could ever pick, and it's probably not going to be a word that you would have even thought of, because the word is the word divided. See, instead of the events that we've had to endure over the last 18 months, bringing us together, like many times things in the history of our country have brought us together, the last 18 months, in my opinion, have divided us. The challenges have divided families. They've divided communities. They've divided schools. Listen to me this morning. They've even divided churches. Some people would be offended at what I said just a moment ago about people coming back to church. Because that's what the events of the last 18 months have done. Instead of them bringing us together and us coming together in unity, they have divided us. We're divided over politics. We're divided over masks. We're divided over vaccines. We're divided over race. We're divided over schools. We're divided over chicken sandwiches. Is it Chick-fil-A or is it Popeye's or is it the new KFC chicken sandwiches? We're divided. So here's the thing about our culture. Today in our culture, when somebody makes a mistake, what do we do? We cancel them. Somebody thinks differently than we think, we just cancel them. We're so bad about this in our culture right now that we've actually come up up with a phrase that describes the culture we live in, and it's actually called a cancel culture. Because in a culture where people are canceled, in that culture, people are completely, consistently writing off other people in shame and guilt and ridicule. Because somebody is different or thinks different from the way that we do. So that's the culture of the day. And that's the culture that you and I are living in right now. It's a cancel culture. You think differently than me. You don't believe in a mask. You don't believe in the vaccine. You don't believe in this. You don't believe in that. But I'm just going to cancel you. And we do it in shame and we do it in guilt and we do it in ridicule. But this morning in our series Against the Wind, week three of this series, we come to a very countercultural approach when it comes to the way that we ha- handle conflict and divisions and relational problems, relational bumps. I mean, if you think about it right now, most of us have some type of conflict in our life a boss, a parent, a mother in law, a neighbor a school. You've got a difference with them. And if the truth was truly known, you want to, if you haven't already, you want to just do what the culture does. You want to just cancel them. But I would say this morning before you do that, before you cancel them, before you write them off, Jesus has some really good against-the-wind advice that is actually found in the Beatitudes. And the wisdom that Jesus has is exactly the opposite of what you would find in the culture that you and I are living in right now. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. This is the prelude to the Sermon on the Mount. It's something called the Beatitudes. And it's what we've been walking through the last couple of weeks. And in verse 7 of chapter 5, here's what Jesus says. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But blessed are those who are just oozing with mercy. Blessed are those who are full of mercy. Blessed are those who who take the approach and they refuse to write somebody else off because that person thinks differently than they do. Blessed are those who don't cancel other people just because those other people see things differently. Blessed are those who show and extend mercy. Mercy. And I know already what you're thinking. Why, Randy? Why? Why? When somebody has done me wrong, why should I extend to them mercy? Why should I show mercy? When somebody has done you wrong, maybe some of you come to that uh, and you basically approach the question, is the question is, why should I forgive? And here's the thing. When I think about that question that you see behind me, why should I forgive? When somebody's done me wrong, why should I forgive that person for doing me wrong? Well, the answer to that question starts with the very reason that I think I should forgive people who have wronged me, and that reason is because God has forgiven me. Why should I forgive somebody else? It's because God has forgiven me. And if God has forgiven me of so much and not given me what I truly deserve, then naturally I should forgive other people. Let's look at Colossians 3, verse 13. Here's the way it says, or here's the way it puts it. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. As we've been walking through these Beatitudes the last couple of weeks, and if I'm that person as I walk through these Beatitudes, if I'm the person that has invited God into my life, if I am poor in spirit, and if I'm that person that's mourned over my sin, and I've humbled myself before God, and if I'm actually hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and if I have experienced forgiveness for my sin, then now. I must extend that same forgiveness to other people. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So, so if God has given me Forgiveness. If God has given me grace when I deserved anger, then who am I to withhold that from those other people who in some way, shape, form, or fashion have hurt me? Now, I want you to grab onto this. I want you to grab onto this. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You will never have to forgive anyone more than God has already forgiven you. You will never have to forgive anybody. I don't care what they've done more than God has already forgiven you. And I know some of you that are listening to me and you're saying to yourself well randy i I can't think of anybody in my life that I haven't forgiven and I knew some of you would be arrogant enough to think that, that you know that i I just knew you would be saying you know I'm, I'm I take care of that, but let me let me help you understand that there probably are some people in your life that you haven't truly forgiven. I mean, think about it like this. Do you have anybody in your life that hasn't paid you back money that they owe you? Anybody in your life broken a promise to you? Anybody ever used harsh words towards you? Is there somebody in your life that's been very critical of you, in your family, at work, a friend? Is that enough or do I need to go on? See, I think all of us have people in our lives where we have not extended forgiveness for the actions that were directed toward us in the same way that God has forgiven us. And the Bible says that we're to forgive other people in the same way that Jesus has forgiven us. So do you understand what that means? If you're to forgive other people the same way that Jesus has forgiven you? Do you understand that that means that you might have to absorb some of the pain that's associated associated with the hurt that was directed towards you? Just like Jesus absorbed the pain on the cross? Because forgiveness is actually me giving up my right to get back at somebody. Forgiveness is me giving up my right to retaliate and instead doing the best that I can to restore the relationship. And and I know some of you are sitting there thinking, well, if I let them off the hook for what they did to me, that just wouldn't be fair. But a merciful person says, just as Jesus paid the price for me, I'm going to absorb the hurt myself and let the offender go free. Because, you see, here's the thing. We we owe God. We owe God. God didn't give us what was fair. He gave us his son. And he, his son, Jesus Christ, paid the price that our human sins racked up. But see, here's the thing. Our nature, our human nature calls for Revenge. Our human nature calls for justice, for retribution, for a culture of canceling other people, and we get like an adrenaline, adrenaline, adrenaline rush when we're. I'm, I, it's kind of like Deuteronomy. I can't <laughs> say it. Okay, uh, we get an adrenaline rush when we're watching a a person who is evil get paid back for the things that they've done. We're we're, we're hypnotized in believing that freedom actually lies in revenge. But that's a lie. And therein lies the second reason I must forgive. I must forgive because God has forgiven me. But I also must forgive because bitterness never works. See, we love getting revenge with people. There's only one problem with that. It simply doesn't work. Revenge and bitterness never releases us. Instead, it only makes us go deeper. So knowing that, let, let, me, let me share some scripture to help you see this and understand this. Look at Job chapter 5, verse 2. To worry yourself to death with, re- with resentment would be foolish. A foolish, senseless thing to do. Now, leave that up there, Tim, just a moment. Notice the word foolish. Why does the writer use the word foolish? Because resentment causes us to do foolish things. And the foolish things that we do only end up hurting ourselves. If I put it honestly, bitterness and living with bitterness is stupid. Look at Job chapter 18, verse 4. You are only hurting yourself with your anger. You're just living your life and you're stewing and spewing about something that somebody did to you. And let me tell you this morning, what they did to you, they may have already forgotten about what they did to you. As a matter of fact, it may have been so long ago that they did something to you that the person who did that to you, they've already passed away. But you're still holding on to it. And in your anger and in your bitterness, you're allowing that situation and that person to hurt you. And here's what I want you to hear me say. Listen to me. Resentment can't change the person or the problem or the past. Resentment only hurts you. I have never spoken with somebody who is carrying around bitterness. And that person told me, Randy, I get up every morning and I feel so good because I'm bitter. I've never had anybody tell me that. The most unhappy people that I personally know are the people who are day-to-day living their life, and instead of letting it go, those people are carrying a grudge. They are the most unhappy people that I know. Look at Job 21. It says, some people stay healthy till the day they die. They die happy and at ease. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. Research tells me that the unhealthiest emotion that people have is the emotion of resentment. Because resentment, listen listen to me this morning, resentment is like carrying a cancer with you and that cancer is eating you alive. And that cancer has physical consequences. And it's been my experience in looking at other people's lives that a lot of people, listen to what I'm about to say, a lot of people stay physically sick simply because they have unresolved bitterness in their life. Now listen to what I'm about to say. I'm going to go against the FDA or the World Health Organization, I'm going to go against everybody right here when I say this. It's not so much about what you eat, it's about what eats you. That's what will kill you. Your bitterness and your resentment. Because nothing drains you like bitterness. Because when you hold on to bitterness and resentment... It drains your body of energy, and it prolongs the hurt, and it is emotional suicide that ultimately leads to depression and additional stress and fatigue. So for many reasons, listen to me this morning, unforgiveness is just a bad option. Here's the third reason why you and I need to forgive. I need to forgive other people for what they've done to me because... I'm gonna need more forgiveness in the future. Amen? I'm gonna need more forgiveness in the future. Unless you plan on living a perfect life from today on, you're gonna be like me and you're gonna need forgiveness in the future. Go back to the words of Jesus in this Beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That is simply saying that if you give mercy to other people, then you're going to receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I want to show you something this morning that I bet you've never seen, because here's the thing. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, let me tell you this morning, you've heard that. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Did you see what Jesus is teaching in the model prayer? Do you understand the significance of that? Because that can be a dangerous prayer. Because as the Lord forgives your trespasses, as you have forgiven those who have trespassed against you, then the question is, how forgiven are you? If God is forgiving you the way that you have forgiven other people. ooh, that's, that's, see, that's, that's big. That's what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says in Mark chapter 11, When you are praying, first forgive anyone anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. The Bible says that we can't receive what we are unwilling to give. You can't receive forgiveness if you're unwilling to extend forgiveness. John Wesley was a famous Christian leader. And somebody came to him and said one day, I I, I could never forgive that person for what they did. And his response was, well, then I hope you don't ever sin anymore. So let me ask you, who do you need to be merciful to today? In your life, I'm talking to you individually all across this auditorium and all across those who are listening, not watching online. Who do you need to be merciful to today? This week, who do you need to extend mercy to? Who is is there in this culture right now that you have written off? Who is there out there that you have canceled because they see things differently than you do? Let's do something different this morning. Let's just stop right now where we are and all across this auditorium, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and let's do business with God. Because I don't think we need to move to the next beatitude until we deal with this. Maybe right now God is stirring something in you. Maybe God is bringing up within you something that you have been dealing with in your life, some resentment, some bitterness that you need to let go of. Maybe right now where you're seated, maybe you need to get on your knees and you need to say, God, thank you for being so merciful to me and extending your grace to me through Jesus Christ. Maybe right now where you're seated with your eyes closed and your head bowed, you just need to admit that you haven't been merciful to other people. And that instead, you have held on to bitterness, and you've held on to anger, and you've held on to resentment, and my thirst for revenge has been too much for way too long. So let's just stop right here, every head bowed, every eye closed, and let's just pray. You just pray for yourself. And you just say something like, God, I I just need help. I need help letting go of something that I haven't been able to let go of. And because, God, you have forgiven me of so much, this bitterness, this resentment that I'm carrying is tearing me up inside. And God, because I know that I'm going to need more mercy and more forgiveness in the future. I choose this moment on October 17th at Crossroads Church to forgive other people. I choose to forgive them for what they've done to me. So right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I command you, let it go. Let it go in Jesus' name. And God, we thank you as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Doesn't that feel good? <laughs> yeah. It feels good. Blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. Mercy. And what's really interesting is that Jesus moves strategically from from this idea, from this thought about forgiveness. He is very strategic. He moves to what I say is this next kind of against the wind attitude that we find in the next verse where he says this in Matthew 5 verse 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Let's test this morning. Let's do a little pure in the heart test this morning. Because I think many of you, like me, pretend to be more than you really are. So we'll see if any of these are something that kind of resonate with you. I'm going to check and see if you're really pure in heart. How many of you have been watching television... You're by yourself, you're in the house, you're watching television, you're watching a movie, and you hear a car pull up and you turn the TV off and you go pretend like you're doing something else. (laughs) So that when they come in, you'll be doing what you were supposed to have been doing in the first place. Have you ever had anybody mention the name of a book, a movie, or a person? And in the conversation, you want to be a part of the conversation and you really feel like you should have known more about it, but you didn't, but you pretended like you did. Anybody ever done that? Have you ever been out in public? This happens to me all the time. Someone came up to you and they knew you, but you didn't know them. But you pretended like you did. I don't sometimes I don't know how to respond because people will see me and I can see that they know me and I can tell that they know me and they may have been to church here, they may have been one of the people who have come and gone from church here, and I just don't remember them. I went to Town Square Social last Sunday and I sat with all of my friends, it was just me, okay? So I was sitting there having lunch after church, and, and, and so somebody kept looking at me and was waving and stuff, and, and I. I I didn't wave at first, and then they started kind of jumping up and down and doing all this stuff, and so then I knew two of the people, and they are people who used to attend church here, and uh, there was another group there. Well, they, they got their seat, and so uh, lucky for me, their seat was right next to the door that I had to pass them when I left. So I go past them, and, of course, you know me. If you know me at all, uh, I'm going to stop and talk to you. And so the the first group of people I had seen the last time I was at Town Square, and uh, they said, you're just here all the time. Well, I'm not there all the time. I do go some. They have great wings, by the way. Anyway, so uh, I I said, yeah, I said, good to see you guys. And then the other lady piped up, and she said, hey, you may not remember. Do you remember me? I used to go to Crossroads, too. And I was like, well, and I'm going to be honest with you. I had just said, you know, you look familiar, but I don't really remember. And if I'm being totally honest with you, she didn't even look familiar. (laughs) I just said that to try to get myself off the hook, you know. (laughs) That's the way we do. That's exactly the way we do. Trying to look better than we actually are is something that happens all the time especially in the church. Because there's something in all of us that makes us want to look more patient and more generous and more spiritual and more kind than we really are. That's nothing new. That's the culture that Jesus lived in. Jesus was teaching in a culture that was obsessed with the outside appearance, that was obsessed uh, with looking good on the outside, with ceremonial cleanliness. They were obsessed with the outside while not being concerned about the inside. And Jesus would say that those spiritual leaders of his culture were like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but the inside are full of dead men's bones. So Jesus was speaking into that culture. And listen to me this morning. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Jesus is speaking into this culture. When Jesus says what we find in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, see, when I talk or when you talk about the heart, we're oftentimes referring to the the heart of our emotions. I just love you with all my heart. That's the heart that you and I, when we speak of the heart, that's the heart that we're referring to. But in that culture, that audience that was listening to Jesus, when they were referring to the heart, they were referring to your mind or to your will. Look at what it says in Proverbs 4, verse 23. I love this verse. I I have actually spoken on this verse hundreds of times. But the writer in Proverbs, the book of wisdom, says this. He says, guard your heart above all else, for it is your heart that determines the course of your life. The heart is like going to the airport. The heart is like the control tower. The control tower controls all the flights, where they land, where they take off, where they go after they land. The heart is the control tower that that really determines our affections, our desires, our thoughts, our reasoning, our imagination, our, our conscience, and our beliefs. And Jesus comes along and said, love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, and your strength. And the heart is the place where the motives for everything that you and I do, it is the place where those motives actually originate. So when Jesus was saying, blessed are the pure in heart, here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was actually saying that a pure heart equals authenticity. A pure heart equals authenticity. In other words, when you have a a pure heart, you don't pretend to be something on the outside that you're not on the inside. Authenticity means that there there is a consistency, consistency between what is in your heart and what is on the outside. Because we all know that you can do the right thing and still have the wrong motives. For instance, I want you to see what God said in Isaiah 29. This is God speaking. God said, these people, they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, I think this is really hard for many of us because so many of you, like me, Are used to wearing a mask out in public and covering up who you really are. I mean, think about it. The last 18 months, we've gotten really comfortable wearing a mask, a physical mask. We've become so accustomed to masking the outside of who we really are that this authenticity, pure heart equals authenticity, we, we, we're so accustomed to masking who we really are that that authenticity comes really hard. It's hard. So Jesus takes the time in the Beatitudes to actually, it's the prelude to the Sermon on the Mount. He, he, he serves notice to the audience that day and to you on that hillside to let those people know and to let you know this morning that His fundamental focus The fundamental focus of Jesus Christ, your Savior, is always going to be your heart. It's always going to be the inside. Because the people with a pure heart, it's the people who are authentic. Those are the people who are going to be blessed. But if you live your life in phoniness and fakeness, you're going to be miserable. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the authentic. Blessed are those who have that consistency between what's on the outside and what's on the inside. So how do we get a pure heart? Because the Bible's really clear. The Bible tells us our hearts are not pure. How do you get a pure heart? You need Jesus. You need Jesus to purify your heart. Because the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above everything else. It's deceitful above all things, and it is desperately wicked. Now, if you go a little further into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that in our hearts, listen to me this morning, in your heart right now, there is adultery, there is dishonesty, there is hate, there is gossip, there is slander, there is greed, And there's lust. But Jesus can cleanse our hearts. Because Jesus is the only one who can make your heart pure. Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Look at the word pure right there at the very end. We get our word cathartic from that word. A doctor uses a catheter to cleanse the body of physical impurities. I remember one time having a catheter myself. You can imagine. I didn't realize that they had given me a catheter and that they had taken it out until I went to the bathroom and I realized that I had had a catheter. <laughs> and I spoke in tongues and jumped and ran and did all kinds of things when I did because I did not realize. But again, the body has physical impurities, and a doctor uses a catheter to cleanse the body of physical impurities. The Bible speaks of a spiritual catharsis that actually cleanses the body or cleanses the heart, and it's found in Acts 15 verse 9. Look at what it says. He purified their hearts by faith. That's a spiritual catharsis that cleanses the heart. Because when we say yes to Jesus, that we believe He is who He says He is, that He is the Son of God, and I actually repent of my sin, and we are not afraid to confess Him and be baptized in Him, then He purifies, He cleanses our hearts. God says in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. He spiritually purifies our hearts with his blood. It's falling on our knees and saying, God, through the blood of Jesus, change my heart. Forgive me. Purify my heart. Cleanse me. So how do you keep a pure heart? We know how to get a pure heart. How do you keep a pure heart? How do you live your life and stay clean? Well, you must continuously keep leaning into God's grace. Because none of us are going to be perfect. But there's something else you must do. You have to realign your priorities. Look at Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. The very first commandment that God gives you and me is that he should be first, that we should have no other priorities in our lives. In Exodus 20, verse 3, God tells us straight out of the chute, he's not going to play second fiddle to anyone or to anything. You shall have no other gods before me. So how do you know what's first place in your life? How do you know what your priorities are? Well, I'll tell you the first place that you can look, and that's in your accounting. The accounting of your life. How are you spending stuff? Time, talent, treasure. Look at what Jesus says later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. He says, do not store up before yourselves treasures on earth, where moss and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he says this for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying that wherever you invest your treasure, what's that? What's that? What's your treasure? Your treasure is your time, and your talent It's your money. Wherever you invest those three things, that's where I'm going to find your heart. I mean, I could ask you right now, what is occupying first place in your life? But you know what would tell me the honest truth? You would probably tell me one thing, but you know what would honestly tell me the truth about what's occupying first place in your life? It's looking at your calendar. It's me taking your phone or however you keep your calendar. It's looking at your calendar. And not just looking at your calendar, it's looking at your bank account. Because that would tell me the story about what you have as it relates to being first placed in your life. Again, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Regardless of what you would tell me, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, that's going to tell us where our heart is. So so let's say that you develop a pure heart. Let's say that you have an authentic heart. Then what's the result of an authentic heart? What's the result of a pure heart? Well, Jesus says that there are things that you can expect as you live a life of authenticity, the same on the outside as you are on the inside, the the, the person who has the pure heart. The very first thing that Jesus says that you can expect, if you're the person who has a pure heart, he says this, he says, you're going to be happy. You're going to be happy. Happy are the pure in heart. And do you know why they're going to be happy? Because you're going to live your life and you're not going to be phony. You're going to be authentic. And you're not going to be faking it anymore. You're not going to be pretending to be somebody that you're not. So that you can get the applause of other people. You're going to be happy when you have a pure heart. And Jesus also says this. If you have a pure heart, you're going to see God. You will see God. I wear glasses, as you can tell. I'm due for a new set, pair, whatever you call them. This morning, I got up a little bit later than I normally do and got ready and went to the office I always kind of look over my notes to see what I'm going to say. And I noticed when I looked down that things were kind of blurred. And I did this. Ooh, they still look bad now. And there was a big fingerprint on the right lens here. Because during the night, I had reached over to grab my glasses on the nightstand, and I had put my finger on that lens, and there was a big fingerprint there and i took a little yellow glass cloth that i have there on my desk and i cleaned it off and i could see my notes much clearer than i was able to before that and so here's the thing you can't see god when your heart is dirty come on now you can't you can't see god when your heart is dirty You can't see God when you're living a life of mixed motives. You need a pure heart to be able to see God. I love the way the message puts this. It says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. That should say then. Then you can see God in the outside world. Listen to me this morning. I want you to hear what I'm saying. When your heart is pure, pure, when you have a pure heart, you're going to see God working. You're going to see God working in your life. When your heart is pure, you will see God moving and leading in your circumstances. Listen to what I'm saying. When your heart is pure, you will see God in other people and you will see God in heaven. when you get your heart right internally, then you know what happens? You start seeing God everywhere externally. So here's something that I think we need to understand. Jesus is not at war with your heart. Jesus is at war for your heart. And it's why he wants you to go against the wind and live a life that is opposite of what the culture is telling you to live. Instead of living your life and carrying a grudge, instead of being full of resentment and bitterness and canceling everyone, Jesus knew that afternoon on that hillside above the Sea of Galilee that you're going to be much happier if you're full of grace and mercy. Because in turn, You will be shown mercy. Jesus is after your heart because he knows that being the same on the inside and the outside that's the key. It's the key to seeing God at work in your life now and forever. So today I want to give you an opportunity. That if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to put your trust in Him. Because that thing that you have been resisting, it's the very thing that can change your life. And many people that are seated around you right now, they already know that. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? You know, when somebody places their faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear what I'm saying. When somebody places their faith in Jesus Christ, the next step that we urge them to take is the step of baptism. And baptism is a symbol. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. Baptism is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a symbol of the washing away of our sins. It's a symbol of the washing that gives us a pure heart. And maybe today you just need to be right where you are. You just need to pray. Whether it's in this auditorium or somebody at home or somebody in their office. Maybe you just need to pray because you finally realize that you're desperately in need of forgiveness. That forgiveness is only available through Jesus Christ. You want to be a a person who extends forgiveness the way that forgiveness has been extended to you. You want to be a person that's full of mercy so that you can extend mercy to others. You want to be the person who lives their life with a pure heart, not a life full of bitterness and resentment and anger that cancels other people because they see things differently than you do. So maybe right where you're seated, You just simply pray, God, today, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the author, the finisher of my faith. He is the one who paid the price that my human sins have racked up. And today, God, I take part in that spiritual catharsis where I place my faith in him knowing that His blood cleanses me of all unrighteousness. And because I place my faith in Him, I have the assurance that after this life ends, I will live forever in heaven with Him. Today, right where you are, just ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be your leader, to be your forgiver, to be your Savior, and make a commitment today to turn from a life of sin and walk towards Him. Understanding that in the assurance of the decision that you've made that He will lead you and guide you and will never forsake you. Now here's the thing. If you pray that prayer this morning, we want to know that. We give you those cards. You can get one if you didn't get one on the way in. And you can say, today I made a first-time decision to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's not something you're comfortable with, you can send me an email, randy at crossroadslebanon.com. We want to celebrate with you. We also want to lead you into that next step, which is baptism, which we're going to do here in the next two or three weeks. we prolonged this way too long, and it's my it, it comes back to me. But we're going to do that at the end of this month, the 1st of November. So if you've made a decision today or previous to today and you've never been baptized, let us know that so we can include you. You'll see more information about that in the coming weeks. God, we're so thankful for this day, for this opportunity. Even in the frustration of technology, you knew before what was going to happen today and you had a reason for it. You have here who you wanted here. It was predestined. Because you knew who needed to hear what they needed to hear. And God, we're forever thankful for our Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. That because of his actions, his sacrifice, that we have the hope of eternal life that is found in him. We want to be people who extend forgiveness to others the way it's been extended to us people who are full of mercy, blessed are the merciful. God, we thank you so much for this time as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: just want to say It's fun to see.
0: are caught up in your presence we're thankful we're most thankful for Jesus and the forgiveness that is extended to us through him and thankful that we can be those who extend that same forgiveness to others blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy let us live a life that goes against the wind. Not a life that's full of bitterness and resentment and anger, but one that extends forgiveness and mercy to others. In light of this culture that we live in, which really is described as a cancel culture, just because people think differently than we do, let us still extend mercy and forgiveness to them. As we ask this prayer this morning, in Jesus' name,